Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. We are continuing a series called Truth Be Told. Everybody say, Truth Be Told. And we are learning some powerful principles that Jesus taught through forms of parables. And a parable is a little story with a big idea. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus would communicate some powerful truths through parables. And uh, we've been studying uh, these truths. And this morning, I want to bring a message that I've entitled, Best Party Ever. Best Party Ever. Let's get into our text this morning. Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter number 14. Didn't the worship team do an amazing job today? Luke chapter number 14. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, try to catch up. The Bible says this. We'll start reading in verse number 16. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper. Everybody say a great supper. And bade many and sent his servant and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Everybody say excuse. How many of you are good at coming up with excuses? Can I see your hands? I'm pretty good at coming up with excuses when I need to. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the hither, the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. There's still room. I look around this room today, and there is room in this room for us to fill with people in this community that need to know about the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. There's still room. Verse 23, and the Lord said unto his servant, go out into the highways and to the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Everybody say filled. filled. Look to your neighbor and say, fill it up. Verse 24, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the atmosphere that's in this room. God, thank you for the spirit of expectancy, Lord. And God, it's not about just getting loud or, 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 or celebrating God in one sense. But God, we know that you are worthy of our praise and you are worthy of our worship. And God, we know that today that... Uh, there are members and people in our church that have come in with real needs and real hurts and are going through difficult seasons. And God, I pray that today could be an encouragement for them. God, I pray that you would give us uh, wisdom and discernment as we navigate this passage. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and illuminate our minds so that we can receive the word that you'd have for us today. God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit so that you could speak through me. And God, I pray that we could be challenged, encouraged, edified, strengthened today. And uh, Lord, we just want to give you the glory for it. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
How many of you would say that you have a favorite all-time meal? Can I see your hand? A favorite meal. How many of you just thinking about that meal right now maybe would get you a little bit hungry? Uh, Any of you like that? Okay. Uh, Every year, uh, my family has kind of a non-traditional Thanksgiving traditions. How many of you have a Thanksgiving tradition? Can I see your hands? Some Thanksgiving traditions. Every year for Thanksgiving, my family goes to a restaurant for our Thanksgiving meal. We go to a buffet. Now, that is, that is typically not something that you would normally do. You would normally make a big spread at your house and maybe invite some family and friends over. But we, every year, have gone to a buffet in a restaurant. But I've got to clar- clarify things just a little bit. It's not like a normal buffet. It's not like hometown buffet, something like that. This is a very uh, nice restaurant that we like to go to, and they bring in all this special food and all these special things for the buffet on Thanksgiving. It's amazing. I look forward to it every single year. And you kind of have to learn going to this restaurant a certain cadence uh, uh, to your eating strategy when it comes to Thanksgiving because they have all kinds of different rooms and different stations that you can go to. And so every year I kind of start with the appetizers and I go and I get some shrimp cocktail and some uh, lobster and and with a little butter and I kind of start with that on Thanksgiving and uh, because who doesn't want that on Thanksgiving? And so I start with that and then I go over and I get uh, some breakfast from the breakfast station. There's kind of a little omelet station and you can get an omelet and a waffle and And then they do have some of the traditional um, Thanksgiving items. You can get turkey and stuffing, and you can get prime rib and roast beef. And I just constantly fill my plate up with mashed potatoes and gravy. Is anybody getting hungry yet this morning? And so I'm just filling my plate, filling my plate. It's amazing. I love it. But towards the end of the day, there is the dessert room. And I say room, that's kind of an understatement. It's more of a dessert banquet hall where there is uh, all kinds of desserts. Every dessert that you could possibly imagine is in this room. Uh, There is uh, ice cream and gelato and cake and any sort of pie you could want and cream brulee. And everything that you could possibly want is in this room. And I love Thanksgiving. I look forward to it every year, even though it's a non-traditional tradition. Uh, I like going because it is a feast. How many of you have ever had a feast before? You've had a feast, a full-on feast. In our text today, in Luke chapter number 14, Jesus compares salvation. He compares the kingdom of God to a feast. He says, uh, your salvation is like a feast. It's expansive. It's large. It's fulfilling. It's great. It's magnificent. You know, but the truth is, a lot of times, even though salvation is compared to a feast, when we look at the lives of other Christians, it looks more like a funeral. And Jesus said, hey, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. I've come to give you the best life possible. The best life that you can possibly live is a life that's found in Jesus. And so the Christian life is not a boring, it's not a mundane kind of, I just got to do this big long list every single day. No, it's not that kind of life. It's an abundant life. Everybody say abundant. It's a good life. It's like a feast. Like a feast. My favorite meal every week is Sunday lunch. Because typically after church, I'm pretty hungry, and I love kind of gathering around the table uh, with my family and different people, and we always talk about the day, talk about Sunday, and that's kind of why it's my favorite meal, because we talk about Sunday, and you know, if the worship was good, or if the worship wasn't good, or (laughs) worship's never not good, so you do a great job. And uh, we talk about if people got saved, and we kind of talk about the day, and I love it. I love having that Sunday afternoon conversation. I grew up in a pastor's home, and... Every Sunday after church, we would go and we would have lunch uh, together, and that was uh, the opportunity for us kids to always tell my dad everything that went wrong with the service, you know, and you need to fix it by tonight. Like, don't let, don't, let's not sing that song again, and let's not do that again, and I'm kind of reaping uh, some of that now, uh, but I love Sunday afternoon conversations, and uh, in Luke chapter number 14, Jesus is eating at uh, the house of one of the Pharisees, and it happened to be the Sabbath day, and they were eating a meal, 
and uh, they were having a very interesting conversation around the meal, and they were kind of gathering together there that day, and, and uh, something interesting happened. A, a man with a disease, a disability, walks into the place, and the Pharisees kind of all had their eyes on Jesus, and they were watching him, trying to figure out what he would do. Would he try to help this man? Would he try to heal this man that had this disease? And they're kind of watching him, and Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they didn't answer him. They ignored him. And so Jesus went ahead and he healed this man and he set him free in this great, amazing moment. And so things are kind of tense now. And Jesus looks back at the Pharisees and he says, which one of you has a son or which one of you has a, has a cow that will fall into the ditch on a Sabbath day and you will not help him out of it? And they knew that Jesus was right. And so Jesus was kind of uh, giving them this, this instruction very clear. And it's kind of a maybe, maybe got just a little bit awkward now uh, at this lunch conversation. Then Jesus noticed something else. He noticed that the Pharisees always wanted the best seat at the table. They always wanted the high position. They were always kind of fighting over who's going to get the best seat at the table. And Jesus is watching that. And so then Jesus gives them a parable on humility. And he's telling them, he's teaching them of the importance of humility. If you've got your Bible open still, in Luke, notice verse number 11. It says this. Verse number 11, it says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so he's teaching them this lesson on humility. And he's saying, hey, you guys care way too much about prominence. And you care way too much about who's going to have the best seat and who's going to have the best seat in the house. You guys are thinking way too much about that. Really, let me teach you a lesson. The seat of honor actually is the seat of humility. And a lot of times we're longing for significance when Jesus is simply looking for service. Jesus said, let me, let me tell you a secret. You want the seat of honor? Start with the seat of humility the humble will be exalted. And so Jesus is explaining this, and he's talking about this. And then notice what happens in verse number uh, 13. It says this, But when thou makest a feast, everybody say a feast. When thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, or the crippled, the lame and the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense or repay thee, for thou shalt be recompensed or repaid at the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of the just. Now, what is Jesus talking about here when he says the resurrection of the just? What, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of the eternal kingdom. He's speaking of eternal life. He's talking about salvation. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are a part of that resurrection, that new life of the just. You have been made just. You have been made righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. You are justified. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So that is the resurrection of the just. And the Pharisees knew all about the resurrection of the just because they completely believed that they were a part of it. They, they knew all about the resurrection of the just, and they knew all about a great feast because they believed that they were going to be 100% a part of it. That's why they lived the way that they lived. Why would you live a lifestyle like the Pharisees if you did not believe that that was achieving the resurrection of the just, if, if you were not achieving salvation? See, they, they lived according to a very strict set of rules, and they lived under this, this heavy load where they would self-sacrifice, and they would surrender, and they would kind of limit everything that they could do, and they would follow all of these regulations. Why? Because they believed that they were achieving the resurrection of the just. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 23, verse number 4, he said, It's an unbearable burden. Why would anyone want to live a lifestyle like that unless they believe that they were achieving salvation? There are millions of people today that believe that they are achieving the resurrection of the just. 
They believe that they are achieving salvation, going to mass and being a good person and doing all these specific things. And if I maybe if I do all those things, I will earn my way into heaven. I'll earn that resurrection of the just. But we know that salvation is a gift. It's grace. It's by faith. That, that's the only way that we can attain a relationship with Jesus. That's the only way that we can get to heaven. It's a gift from God. It's not about keeping the law and the rules and the regulations to be a part of this resurrection of the just. And the Pharisees, they were missing out completely. They thought that they would be a part of this resurrection of the just. And not only did they believe that they would be a part of it, they thought that they would have the best seat in the house at the resurrection of the just. They thought that they would sit at the high places. That was kind of just woven into the fabric of the Jewish mindset. They're thinking, they always kind of were thinking about who's going to have the best spot, who's going to be the greatest. Even James and John, they asked their, their mom to go ask Jesus, who's going to sit at thy right hand? Who's going to sit at thy left? Because they wanted to know who's going to have the best seat, who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the most prominent. They really wanted to know who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus says, you're missing the whole point. You're never going to achieve the resurrection of the just. You are way too proud. You need to humble yourself. And so he's speaking of humility, but they didn't get it. They still didn't get it. And it's kind of almost humorous what happens in verse number 15 because they're listening to Jesus talk about the resurrection of the just. And Jesus just basically gets done saying, hey, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to enter the kingdom of God because you are too proud. Notice what happens in verse 15. And when one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's kind of funny because Jesus was saying, hey, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And this guy, I don't know if he was paying attention. I don't know if he walked into the conversation late, but you can almost kind of imagine the scene. It's like he's calling a toast. You can, you can imagine the scene. He raises up his glass and he says, right on, Jesus. Blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Good one. It's like, were you not listening? Jesus just said you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> Wrong timing. And so because they didn't understand, because they were too proud, and because they were relying on their own efforts, Jesus decides to give a parable about the kingdom, a parable, parable really about heaven. And it's the greatest party ever. Jesus compares your salvation to a party. He, he compares heaven to a party. It's going to be a grand celebration. And so let's dive into this parable. And I want to give you three attributes of the greatest party ever. Number one, the greatest party ever. Number one, everything is included. Everything is included. And uh, this excites me. And not too long ago, I went on an Alaskan cruise with my wife, Katie. And I was excited about going on the cruise. I was excited about seeing the sights and having fun and relaxing. But I was most excited when I found out that all the restaurants and all the food on board the ship was included. And uh, when I found that out, I was like, this is amazing. You can go to any restaurant, order whatever you want, as much as you want. And it's all included. Even room service was included. That's a blessing, right? Come on. If you, how many of you love room service? I love room service. Bring it to me. Come on. It was included. I was ordering ice cream at like 3 o'clock in the morning just because I could. <laughs> I love it when everything is included. Notice what it says in verse number 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. A great supper. A great supper. What is he talking about? What is a great supper? Well, we've got to understand the Greek. Uh, the word great is magos. It means a large, expansive, huge. So this large, expansive, huge. And then supper is the Greek word dapnon, and it means a, a formal feast. And so what were we talking about here? We're talking about a large, huge, expansive, formal feast. This was a great celebration. There would have been food. There would have been singing. There would have been entertainment. There would have been all kinds of things, and everything was included. This was a great, huge party. 
And uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we have kind of an example of what a party like this might have looked like. King Ahasuerus, he uh, uh, has this grand party and this big celebration. Maybe 50,000 people are included in this party. You can read about it in Esther chapter number one. And uh, this party that he had lasted six months. That's, that's when you know a party is going a little like, okay, you need to go home now. Like, here's your shoes. Let's go. Six months. That's a long party. They said, the Bible says that the, the cups in which they drank from were made of pure gold. It was a grand party. And so this party that, that, that we're talking about here in this parable, this great supper, what Jesus is talking about is a celebration. It's a party. It's a banquet that would have lasted for days. And the Pharisees listening to this parable, the Pharisees that are listening to this story, remember it's the Sabbath day at lunch. They're kind of having this conversation. When they heard about this, they would have been very intrigued. They would have been very interested because the Pharisees loved this kind of thing. They live for parties. They live for feasts. They live for banquets. They love to be a part of this. They would, they would look forward to these things with great anticipation. They loved it. See, they lived in kind of a, a rather mundane agricultural society, not a, not, a, not a whole lot going on. Everybody kind of knew everybody. When you would hear of a feast, a banquet, an event like this, man, you were just hoping to get an invitation. And we see through this party, we see two things. We see really a picture of our host, our, a picture of our host. In verse number 16, the Bible says, a certain man. That certain man is a picture of Jesus as our host. He is in heaven, and he is preparing a place for us. He is getting the meal ready. He is sending out the invitations. Why? Because he loves us. He cares about us. He wants it to be the greatest thing ever, and he is thinking about you. He's thinking about your mansion. He's thinking about heaven. He, he, he wants to prepare a great celebration for you. He is the certain man. He is our host. Charles Ryle said this, Christ, in one word, is the sum and the substance of the great supper. John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. Everybody say prepare. I go to prepare a place for you, and if, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. And so Jesus is preparing. He, he loves us. He is the host. He is the one that's sending out the invitations and putting in all the work. Charles Ryle also said this, as there is nothing wanting in this great supper, everything was included, because Jesus is everything. Everything's included. As there is nothing wanting in this great supper, so there is also nothing wanting in Jesus Christ for the salvation of the soul. Christ provides a full supply of everything that sinners need in order to be saved. See, a life that is surrendered to Jesus is lacking nothing. Jesus is everything. Everything is included because Jesus is enough. See, we live in a culture, we live in a society of people that are constantly looking for satisfaction and constantly looking for fulfillment and constantly looking for happiness and joy and a sense of belonging and acceptance. And, and we crave that. I was reading early this week that there is a website and uh, it's dedicated to a Texas-based group that is called the Secret Society of Happy People. And they have this little group and this little organization, and the whole point is to kind of come together and make sure that you're happy. And you can go to their website. It's S O H p.com society of happy people and uh, they will give you some tips on how to be happy there's some videos that you can watch I watch them they have officially declared August as happy month so happy happy month to you all we live in a culture that is longing and is desperate for happiness we want satisfaction, we want fulfillment, we want acceptance, we want belonging. And I want to tell you this morning that all of that and more is found in the person of Jesus Christ. In him alone, 
are all our needs met. When we are poor, he is our provision. When we are starving, he is our supply. He is our satisfaction. If you're hungry, he's the bread of life. If you're thirsty, he's the living water. If you're empty, he's everything. Jesus is everything. Everything is included. Christ is enough. You can have this world. You can have it all. Just give me Jesus. He's everything. Everything's included. I love what the Bible says about salvation, about our God, Psalms 107, verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and he filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm 16, verse number 11, thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At that right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I like that word, pleasures. <laughs> pleasures forevermore. Everything is included. Everything is found in Jesus. The greatest provision for a starving soul is the person of Jesus Christ. Picture of our host. But this great supper is also a picture of heaven. How many of you are looking forward to heaven? Can I see your hand? Heaven is going to be an amazing place. I look forward to heaven. And uh, this, this great supper is a picture of heaven, this great feast. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 25, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast. In this passage, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about a feast that's going to take place in heaven. The Lord of hosts, uh, the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, of feast of wines on the lease, and of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lease, well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all the people, and the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Heaven is going to be a wonderful, wonderful place. The prophet Isaiah says that there's going to be a great feast in heaven, and guess who's preparing it? The Lord of hosts. If Jesus is the cook, you know it's going to be good. Heaven's going to be an amazing place. You know, a lot of times we have, the, we have a misconception about heaven. A lot of people kind of envision heaven. And it's going to be all white. And it's going to be like a really, really, really long church service, boring church service. Heaven is going to be far greater than we could possibly ever, ever imagine. I love how the Bible describes heaven. It's a party. It's a celebration. It's a great feast. Everything is included. This party is going to be amazing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It's going to be better than you can possibly imagine. I can imagine all sorts of things in heaven. I have a wild imagination. <laughs> I can imagine heaven is going to be an amazing place. It's going to be better than all that. Heaven's going to be awesome. I love what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 24, 21, verse number 4. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. A couple years ago, I was doing a Christian club in a public school, and uh, there was this boy that, that came in every single week. His name was Sinai. And uh, Sinai was not a Christian, but he kind of came in because we had free pizza. And uh, he was, uh, he is in a wheelchair, and uh, he's been in a wheelchair ever since he can remember. He is uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And he would kind of come in every single week to Christian club, not a Christian, but wanted pizza, and he would kind of be stoic throughout. We played games, and I'd teach a lesson, and he would kind of just sit there and listen. He would, he would kind of like, he was paying attention, but not really super engaged, not really listening. And I remember one day after Christian club, uh, Sinai was asking me some questions, and I was able to open up the Word of God, and I was able to show him that he could know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that he could have a home in heaven, and uh, we were talking about heaven, and Sinai prayed and accepted Christ as a Savior. 
And I remember we were talking together, and uh, I, I did what I always do after someone accepts Christ. I was showing them some verses about how you can't lose your salvation. This is forever, and now you have a new life that's in Jesus, and kind of encouraging, encouraging him in his new walk. And I remember I looked at him, and I said, Sin, I eat heaven's going to be awesome. In heaven, you're not going to need that wheelchair anymore. And I remember when I said that, he got the biggest smile on his face, like he had never thought about that before. Can I tell you that heaven is going to be awesome? We don't think about heaven enough. And the best part about heaven is that we're going to see Jesus face to face. It's a picture of our host. It's a picture of heaven. Everything's included at this party because Jesus is everything. Notice number two about this great party. Nothing, nothing is more important. Everybody say nothing. Nothing, nothing is more important than this. So the Pharisees, they're kind of sitting there. They're listening to this parable. They're listening to this story. And so far, so good. We love feasts. We love, we love uh, banquets. We love big parties and celebrations. But then Jesus kind of turns the corner a little bit and completely shocks the Pharisees with the rest of this story. Notice verse number 17. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Verse 17, And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. See, in a world without clocks, how they would do big events and banquets and feasts like this, what they would do is they would send a first invitation. And that first invitation would basically say, Hey, you're invited to this great party. And it's kind of like a save the date, but without the date, they wouldn't tell you when it was. They would just say, Hey, you're invited to this. It's going to be incredible. You're on the guest list. We want you to come. And then there would be several days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, until the feast and the banquet was actually ready. And then once the food was all prepared and once everything was ready they would send a second invitation saying okay it's ready now it's time to come and so that's what's taking place here in verse 17 now notice what it says in verse 18 and they all with one consent began to make excuse the first said unto him i have bought a piece of ground and i must needs go and see it i pray thee have me excused another said i have bought five yoke of oxen and i go to prove them i pray thee have me excused another said i have married a wife and therefore i cannot come and so we see that the second invitation gets sent out and the people say, we can't come. Now, the Pharisees that are listening to this story, this was a completely laughable concept. Because nobody would ever refuse an invitation like this. Nobody. They would look forward to this with great anticipation. If you were invited to an event like this, if you were invited to a banquet like this, this could, this could possibly be and most likely be the highlight of your life. Nobody would not come, let alone all, all these people, and make these kind of excuses. And so the Pharisees, are, they're listening to the story, and they hear this part, and they maybe would look at each other like, okay, yeah, right. Like, they love feasts. They, they love going to these things. In fact, that's what the Bible says. You can read it in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse number 6. It says, and they love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogue. They love this sort of thing, and they would look forward to this with great anticipation. When that first invite would come, they would say, awesome, we're on the guest list. Are you on the guest list? I'm on the guest list. I wonder... I wonder when the second invitation is going to come. I wonder when it's going to be. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. Man, I can't wait for this. Nobody would ever deny an invitation like this. But really, this parable is an indictment on the Pharisees because in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, they sent the first invitation. They were prophesying about the coming Messiah. John the Baptist came and he was prophesying about the coming Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. He was saying, hey, Jesus is coming and he is the Messiah. That was the invitation. But then when Jesus came, they rejected him. And so this parable was an indictment on the Pharisees because they received the first anticipation. All of them wanted to meet the Messiah. All of them were waiting that with anticipation. But when he came, they rejected him. And so 
we learn a couple lessons from these excuses. One is whenever you try to share the gospel, you know that people are going to give you excuses. Uh, you know that whenever you invite someone to church, they're going to give you excuses. They're going to say, I can't go because I have this, and I have my third cousin removed birthday party, and it's the next week, and we got to really pray about it, so we can't come on Sunday. And We know that. We understand that. But a lot of times, we find ourselves giving excuses when it comes to serving the Lord ourselves. And when it comes to serving God, it's not about a lack of opportunity. It's a lack of priority. There are plenty of opportunities to serve God, but do they take the highest priority? Because when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to heaven and this party, nothing is more important. Nothing is more important. And so these guys, they start to give some excuses. And uh, they start to kind of tell why they can't go to the party. The first one we see in verse 18, this was uh, the man who had to... He had purchased some land. Notice what it says. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. And the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. And I must needs go and see it. I pray that you have me excused. Now, this is a ridiculous excuse. You bought a piece of land and you got to go see it. Like, where's it going to go? You can see it the next day. This, this banquet was a great supper. It was in the evening. You're going to go look at it in the dark. This was a ridiculous excuse, but this was the excuse of possessions. He purchased a piece of land. It was his possession. It was his prized possession. He wanted to go look at it. He had to go see it, and it took the priority over the party. His possessions. His possessions began to control him. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things. Everybody say things. things. Things that are in the world, the products of this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We become consumed often with things. My daughter Liv, uh, she's turning four in September, and uh, I came up with a nickname for her. I call her the Queen of Things. And uh, the reason I call her that is because she kind of becomes infatuated with the weirdest things. Like, she just loves little, little things and little trinkets, and she kind of has a special spot in her room where she kind of puts all these, these things. And, you know, we'll get a Happy Meal from McDonald's. Uh, yes, we go to McDonald's with our kids, and when we gave, we'll give Liv a Happy Meal. And she will get a toy in that Happy Meal, but she will care more about the little paper instructions that come with the toy than the actual toy. And she'll hold on to that piece of paper for a long time. The other day we were at the zoo, and uh, there was a $5 little pink flamingo, and I decided to surprise Liv, and I went over and I bought that pink flamingo, and I gave it to her, and she was excited. And there was a little tag on the ear of the flamingo that, uh, that had a little picture, had the price tag on it, and had the picture of the flamingo. And she said, Dad, can you take that off? And I said, sure. So I took it off, and I gave it to her, and she held on to that the entire day. She loves, she loves little things. She, just, she, she collects them. She held on to that little tag all day. Towards the end of the day, she dropped it, and she lost it, and she freaked out. She started crying, and where, where's my tag, and where is it at? I want that piece of paper. And she was crying, and I was like, Liv, you have the flamingo right here. This is what actually matters. But no, she wanted the little tag, and, she was, and I was saying, Liv, most kids don't care about the tags. Just, you have the flamingo right here. How often do we get invested and infatuated with the things of this world that don't really matter? When Jesus is looking at us saying, hey, that doesn't matter in eternity. Hey, that doesn't really matter. Why are we becoming so infatuated and so concerned about our possessions and about our things when they don't really matter? See, 1 John 2 uh, says that we should not love the things of the world. We shouldn't love the things of the world, the things. But I love that the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these 
things will be added unto you. See, if we stop becoming so focused on things and what we want, Jesus will give you some things you never dreamed of. He'll give you some things you never even thought were possible. So we need to stop thinking so small and stop becoming so focused on the little tag and start looking at the blessings that are out ahead of us and all that God wants to do in us because sometimes we become so obsessed with our possessions and we miss out on the party. So this first excuse was possessions. This guy, I, I, I got to go look at my land. Notice the second excuse. The second excuse in verse number 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray that you have me excuse. So this was kind of a, a strange excuse as well. This guy says, hey, I bought five cows, and this seems like a good time for me to go and test them out. I got to go test out my cows. Like, you know, of course I got to miss the party. Got some cows to test. And this guy uses this excuse, and this is the excuse of occupation. He says, I got a job to do. He wanted to get out ahead. I've got some work that needs to be done. I can't go to this party. I can't go to the celebration, this feast. I got to test my cows. Can I encourage you this morning to not let an occupation get in the way of you serving God? Jesus gave us a great example in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, as his habit was, as his routine was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up for the read. See, Jesus had a, had a custom. He had a habit to go to the synagogue. Nothing was going to get in the way of that priority. That was his priority. That was his habit, his routine. Can I encourage you to develop some habits and some routines when it comes to your worship? When it comes to your personal time with God, to develop some routines and some habits where you spend time with God. When it comes to your corporate worship, when it comes to coming to church, don't let occupation, don't let an opportunity stand in the way of your worship before Almighty God. When it comes to this party, when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to the kingdom of God, can I tell you nothing is more important? Nothing's more important than this. I love to eat at Chick-fil-A while we're on the subject. And I don't know about you, but it seems like I'm always craving Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Right? Like, Chick-fil-A sounds so good, and you want to go to Chick-fil-A, and then you point, and it's like, ah, it's Sunday. You know, the reason Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday is because when Truett Cathy founded Chick-fil-A, and he started his company, he said, you know, we're going to close down because we're going to honor the Lord's Day, and mainly because he wanted to teach his Sunday school class. I would say that God honored him honoring his day. God honored Truett Cathy. See, sometimes we think, I got to get ahead. I got to work. How am I going to pay the bills? God will honor you if you honor his house. So this guy said, I can't. I got to go test my cows. And the Pharisees are thinking about this like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You got to test your cows to miss out on a celebration, a party like this? That's insane. Yeah. The third excuse is this, verse number 20. And this is a, this is a good excuse. <laughs> and another said, I have married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. <laughs> if anybody had a legitimate excuse, this guy was like, listen, I got a wife. That's all I got to say. I'm done. <laughs> this was the excuse of relationships. You know, the truth is your relationships will either build you or break you. They're either going to bring you up or they're going to bring you down. And be very careful the voices that you allow into your life. The voices that start telling you, no, don't, don't do that, don't do that, because we need to spend time on doing this, and don't go and serve the Lord, and don't, why are you going to give, and why are you going to serve, and why are you going to be a part, and why are you going to participate in God's house, and wh why do all that? Be very careful about the voices that you allow 
to influence your heart. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. There's been many people that have had good, good manners, that have had good intentions. They wanted to do right, but evil communications slip in. I have good intentions. I want to do what's right. I want to go to church, and I want to serve, and I want to be a part, and I want to be a blessing and do what God wants me to do. But then there's a voice in your ear that's always telling you, why are you doing that? Why are you going there? This was the excuse of relationships. Hey, I got I to gotta take care of this first and foremost. And so we have these three different excuses. Possessions, occupation, relationships. And what I want to tell you this morning about this great celebration and about this party, nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing, nothing is more important. Does God have the first priority in your life? Nothing is more important. Number three this morning, the third attribute of this party, everybody needs an invitation. Everyone needs an invitation. When it comes to this party, everything is included. Is anybody thankful that everything is included in Jesus? When you said, when you asked Jesus into your heart, in that moment, God gave you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There's nothing more than you need than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is anybody thankful this morning that your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus is everything? He is all sufficient. He is self-existent. He is the almighty God. In him is everything. And then when it comes to this party, nothing is more important. This should be number one priority. But then everybody needs an invitation. Now, this story, this parable, kind of goes from one absurd idea that, uh, that these people would give an excuse to another absurd idea. And that absurd idea is that, is that this host would invite the outcasts of society to this party. See, neither one of these things would have happened. The first group would never have refused the invitation. They would have never given excuses. And the second group would have never been invited. But notice how Jesus tells the parable. Verse number 21. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, righteous indignation, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. See, the host says, what? They don't want to come? This is what we're going to do. Go out into the city. Go into the lanes. Go wherever you can and invite the crippled. Invite the blind. Invite the disabled. Invite whoever you can come to this party. Now, the Pharisees are listening. They're thinking, that's crazy because the Pharisees prided themselves in never even coming close to the outcasts of society. Not only would they not touch them, they would not come anywhere near them, and they would have never been invited to a party like this to an event like this. And so the Pharisees, Pharisees, they're thinking, this is crazy. And they always had this problem with Jesus. In fact, one time they came to the disciples and they said, your master eats with sinners. Why is he he eating with sinners? And this host of this party says, go out and invite everybody in. See, as Christians, can I tell you this morning, we are not called to avoid certain people. We are called to embrace people with the love of the gospel. We are called to go out into the highways and into the hedges and into the streets and into the lanes to whoever will listen because everybody, I said everybody needs an invitation. It doesn't matter what the color of skin. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter their background. The love of Christ extends to all people. Everybody needs an invitation. The Pharisees are thinking, no, this is not good. This is not true. This should not happen. And Jesus says, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Everybody needs an invitation. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. This was Jesus' 
his mission statement when he first started his earthly ministry. And he said, he has sent me to the heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty to them that are bruised. See, that's why Jesus came. And he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Jesus' mission is our mission this morning. That's why we started this church. And if that makes you uncomfortable, maybe it should, because we should get uncomfortable to go out and to invite people to let them know about this message that changes everything. Do we really believe there's a heaven? Do we really believe there's a hell? Do we really believe there's a celebration of feasts like this? Then we need to get out some more invitations. We need to fill the room up. There's room. We need to let people know about this message. And so the servant says, we're going to go. And here's how we're going to do it. The host says, we're going to go. First of all, we're going to go urgently. We're going to go urgently. Look at what he says in verse 21. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly. Everybody say quickly. When it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to evangelism, there needs to be a sense of urgency. If someone is drowning and I'm in the boat, I'm not going to describe the features of the boat and have a I'm going to flow out the lifeline. I'm going to get them in. There needs to be a sense of urgency. Have you ever been around someone that just did not have any sense of passion or urgency? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, there was, uh, I was working several years ago with a church intern, and uh, this guy had no sense of urgency, no sense of passion. He would kind of just walk the day so slow, and he would kind of just, everything was just so slow. And I remember the head of the interns came to him and said, hey, I want you to go today, and I want you to water all the plants in the kid's space. Just water all the plants that you can find in the kid's space. And he said, okay. And so he walked real slow, and he went over there. And he started watering all the plants. He came back a couple hours later, and he said, I did it. I watered all the plants. And he was like, I remember the, the, the host, uh, leader of the interns, he started laughing, and he, and he said, he said, I was just kidding. Those are all fake plants. <laughs> I was just kidding. You went and watered all the fake plants. See, sometimes we go through life uh, uh, pursuing pointless endeavors, and we're wasting our time, and we're doing things that don't really matter, and there's no sense of urgency, and there is a world, and there is a community in Fontana, California that needs the gospel message, and we are content to just kind of go through life slow, and I want to tell you this morning, there needs to be some urgency. There needs to be some passion. There needs to be something in you that says, man, I'm bound in the spirit to Fontana, just like Paul said. I'm bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. I'm going to get there one way or another. We've got to have that spirit, that burden that says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go urgently. I'm going to go with all of my passion. He says, go urgently. Then he says, you got to go repeatedly. In verse 22, and the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. He says, I went, and I invited all those people, but there's still room. There, there's still room. Verse 23, and the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and to the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You know what the host said? Go again. He said, I already went. I invited everybody that I could. And he said, go again. Go repeatedly. He said, I've already invited my neighbor. Invite him again. I I've already invited my friend. They said, no, invite him again. Why? There needs to be urgency. We need to go again repeatedly and say, you know what? I know this might be awkward. I know I've invited you before, but nothing really matters more in life than this. And I just thought I'd give you an invitation. Can I tell you, on August 27th, the reason we're having this day, each one bring one. We're just trying to make up something where we're going to have watermelon. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have something for the kids. We're making up an event, an excuse for you to invite your friends to church because there's nothing more important. You say, I've already done that. Go again. Go urgently. Go repeatedly. And then he says, go convincingly. Notice what he says in verse 24. For I say unto you that none of those men, verse 23, excuse me, and Lord said unto the servants, go out into the highways and hedges and compel. Everybody say compel. Compel. That means to strongly urge or force. <laughs> we are so worried about stepping on people's toes. <laughs> and we are so worried about are they going to think? And we should be. 
But when we go out into our community, we should be convincing. We should believe that Rock Hill Baptist Church is the best church on the planet. We should believe that this is amazing. Why would you not want to come? The message of the gospel is amazing. Why would you not want to accept? Heaven's going to be a great party. Why would you? We've got to go convincingly. Sometimes we say, hey, you want to come to church? No. Okay. We've got to convince some people. How many of you can be good at convincing when you want to be? When you want to convince something to get your way, you can be pretty convincing. How about you convince them for the kingdom of God? Go convincingly. Compel them to come in. Verse 24, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. If you reject that invitation of Jesus, you're never going to enter the kingdom of God. If you hear the invitation that Jesus is salvation that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You hear that invitation and you refuse to accept. You're not going to participate in the, in the feast. You're not going to participate in the kingdom of God. You're not going to enter heaven. And this was a sobering reality. Everything up until this point, the parable is third person. Now he says in verse number 24, he makes it very personal. He says, for I say unto you. He said, the reason for this parable, Pharisees, I'm talking to you. If you reject this invitation, you're not going to taste of my supper. You're not going to be a part of this celebration. When the Twin Towers fell on September 11th, there were massive amounts of first responders and firefighters and different people rushing to the scene to save people. That, that was their goal, to save people. And I read this week that when the towers fell, there was actually an underground warehouse that uh, was for the New York Exchange, some, some sort of company that was storing uh, uh, tons and bricks of gold. And underneath the Twin Towers, there was about 12 tons of gold worth over $160 million. But you know, when people, when the firefighters and the first responders, when they were going into the scene, no, no citizens were coming in saying, hey, where's the money? Hey, we're missing over $160 million. Is anybody going to go find it? Come on, that's a lot of money. We need to go find it. Why did nobody say that? Because that was not what was most important. Most important was saving people's lives from the rubble. Most important was getting into that, into that rubble and getting into that debris and looking for life and reaching out to them. Can I tell you this morning that nothing else matters more than getting out into our community and pulling people out and reaching them with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. That's what matters most. That's why we're here. Nothing matters more than that. We've got to go. Come on, somebody. We've got to go out into the highways and to the hedges and compel them to come in. And we can't just leave these doors today and just content how we came in and say, oh, that was good let's do something about it let's go let's go urgently come on let's go let's go urgently let's go convincingly let's go repeatedly we've got a job to do we've got a mission to fulfill and I believe that Jesus is communicating to us today through his word that we've got to be passionate I, I like it when people are passionate you come in here and we clap sometimes and, and uh, we get excited I'd rather be excited than treat God like he's boring and treat God like a funeral. No, he said it's like a party. It's like a feast. Last verse and we'll be done. Verse 21. He said, go out quickly in the middle of the verse into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor. I love those two words, bring in. You got to bring in. It's not enough to just communicate the message. It's not enough to just invite someone. It's not enough to just maybe... It's not enough to just say something or, yeah, I go to church too. That's not enough. You've got to be willing to bring in. Can I ask you, August 27th, when we have each one, bring one. Who can you bring? 
Who can you invite? That's the first step. But who can you bring in with you? Because we are seeking to make an eternal difference. This matters much more than the little tag on the flamingo. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about all of eternity. It matters much more than we can possibly imagine. So let's get a little uncomfortable and let's get out into this community and extend some invitations. Everybody needs an invitation. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.